So welcome back, everyone. So before we dive in, I invite you to take a moment to close your eyes and take a deep breath in. And then let it out. Take a few more of those real quick. Feel your feet on the ground. Feel the wind or the breeze or even just the air against your skin. Take one more deep breath. In. And out. And then slowly, slowly open your eyes. Look gently and softly and see anew. Good to see you, Josh. Uh, you too, Gregory. Today is the uh, the day that the podcast first dropped. You know, we record these yes. in, in advance, but yeah, I know we're both excited about that. And yeah, uh, it's it's hard to believe sometimes. <laughs> Just so excited to to share it, to post it, and it's it's kind of feels unreal yeah and there's a lot of people i was really excited to see that were sort of reaching out and people are like oh this is really good yes yeah absolutely and hopefully by by this third episode we're all starting to get a sense of what this what this is and yeah the, the journey has begun <laughs> the journey has begun you said something in the in the first episode that that uh I just I had to write it down right away, and all these ideas just started flowing mm-hmm. when when you were at uh, the California Institute of uh, Integral Studies. Yes, and how you had to also go through therapy, and that it was intense, and it was like yeah. as, as a percentage, how much time do you spend doing that? You know, oh man, it's a part of every single class. Really? Okay, it's wow. something I I so respected about the program, is. You know, it's interesting because it was a little bit hard for me to sometimes explain why it was so tough mm. because I would I would start to talk about how draining it is. Sure. People say, oh, you got a lot of papers, a lot of readings. I'm like, yes, but that's not really the tough part. That's not the hard part, yeah. The hard part was, for instance, when we would be in psychodynamics class, we would, it wouldn't just be, okay, let's look at how Freud or Carl Jung understood depression. It'd mm. be, all right, let's, we'll read this. And then I want you to slow down and remember a time when you were the most depressed in your life. Oh, wow. And really see if this theory rings true to you. Mm-hmm. And and that was true of, of couples counseling, of family dynamics. It was, it was essentially like going through every type of therapy uh, all at once. Wow, so you get a really good sense of what the other person, what, what the, the person that would come to you is, is experiencing or going through or... Yeah, yeah, sort of being in that Gestaltian hot seat, right? Yes, yeah. exactly. Oh, yes, Gestalt is very close to my heart. That's oh yeah, I love that. It's oh, we'll a... have to do a whole full season on Gestalt. Oh my gosh, like at least an episode. <laughs> um, just for everyone who's listening, the the heart of Gestalt therapy is working in the present moment to integrate all the diverse parts of yourself. Right. So the part of you that's that's angry, the part that's joyful, the parts that desires, but um, but yeah, so with CIS, the California Institute of Integral Studies, the value was really that before you ever sit down with a with a client, you have to have gone through it yourself mm-hmm. to know what it's like to be vulnerable, to be honest. Right. 
Did you find that you had certain uh, blind spots or uh, things that were hidden to you that, that came up in these processes? I mean, you don't have to get, yeah. get, get too personal or too deep, but but was it was that sort of uh, an enlightening moment of like, oh wow, I didn't realize that that thing that had happened was affecting my life this much. Oh, there were there were so many enlightening moments and mm-hmm. insights. Everything from realizing just how limiting my own people pleasing tendencies were. Ah, okay. I I uh, I remember a very powerful moment in group dynamics where we were essentially practicing group therapy. Mm. And again, we're not just learning how to hold groups, we're we're in group therapy together. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's not a textbook, yeah. Um, no, not far from it. And I remember uh, one of my peers said to me like, "Josh, you know, you're always smiling." Mm-hmm. And I have, I find that I'm having trouble trusting you. Like, what is that about? Mm. What are you really feeling? Yeah. And that, that floored me to, to realize how sometimes this, this joyful, positive persona was just that. It was a persona to protect, a mask to protect what I was really feeling. Not all the time. You know, yeah. Lots of the time it's genuine. But... Yeah, I think you're a pretty happy guy in general, right? I think I, if, if I were to yeah. just see you walking down the street by yourself and you didn't see me coming, I, I would imagine you'd be smiling, not like your head down, you know, kind of <laughs> grumbling to yourself or something. It's really true. Yeah. No, it's true. I, I am, but it's it's also my comfort zone. Mm-hmm. And so one of, the, one of the greatest lessons that CIS taught me was how important it is to to be honest with ourselves first and foremost Mm. but then also with others honest about what we're feeling so you know for me that that really starts with first of all self-awareness to even recognize okay Mm. i'm i'm feeling uncomfortable in this moment let me slow down and take a breath and see what that discomfort is yeah yeah and i would imagine a client would pick up on that too you know what I mean? I, I've, I've gone to counselors a few times in my life, two or three times when yeah. I found myself stuck. I was in a situation I knew I had to change it, but I couldn't do it. Right. And just that first step that somebody makes to decide to go is, mm-hmm. is a big thing. And then even in that environment, you're kind of like, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't want to should I say all of these things or you're kind of always holding back. Right. In, in some regard. You know. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that, Gregory. It's it is true. I, I couldn't agree more that the first step is is key, mm-hmm. and it's 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 a brave step because in our in our culture there's a lot of uh, of un- unfortunate negative conditioning around therapy only being for people who are right. messed up in some way or have right. some severe issue. Whereas the way I see it, everyone can benefit from being seen right. and heard. Yeah. It's not just that you have a problem, and no. that's kind of a new thing, right? I would think with 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 positive positivism psychology, mm-hmm. right, and yes. whenever that started, because it's it's exactly what you're saying. When Freud started out, he was treating people that were like had really severe problems, exactly, and really just as they you kind of moved through Jung and, and Fritz Perls, whatever they kind of it turned to the point. It's like, well, can't can't these same things that we're doing here can't they apply to people? They're just kind of living a normal life. They're okay, but they want to elevate it mm-hmm. and really take their life to a different level. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I also want to name Carl Rogers, who founded All humanistic right. psychology. There you go. Because he, one of, one of his 
beautiful beliefs is he believed that that we all have the potential to thrive mm. sort of like like buddha nature we all have the potential to awaken right and and it's and so he believed that we're not we're not violent or base at our core you know sure we have those tendencies but at our core we want to be open and alive and caring but then it's through fear it's through through traumas through hurt through heartbreak Mm. that that sort of gets we we close down to protect ourselves right and, yeah and, and i think that 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 kind of goes back to the whole reason we're doing these podcasts is to mm. to be of of service and value to people because our society at large is becoming so fear-based yes and people are feeling so debased and so scared it's true um that it's yeah and people sort of kind of do that on purpose because they know they can make money from it for right? sure yeah. oh, there's a lot of manipulation mm -hmm. a lot of fear-mongering and that's why you're exactly right that's why seeing through eyes of love is is my life's purpose you know sharing this and and really reminding us that we all have the capacity to do this right because love I mean this was this was in the New Testament it's in so many traditions that that pure unconditional love is the antidote to fear. Right. Yeah, I don't know too much about Carl Rogers. What, what, would, what would you say that are some of the corollaries in his that you see between his work and your work? Great question. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> so for one thing is he's very famous for creating client-centered therapy. Okay. For the, his belief that it's crucial to see each and every person with what he called unconditional positive regard. So no matter what they've done, mm -hmm. if they have a criminal history, right. have no matter what they've been through, to see that at their core, they either are good or have or certainly have the potential to be kind and caring mm -hmm. and to respect their dignity as a as a human being. Right. And then he also believed. So there were three core tenets that Carl Rogers said that every therapist needs to have. One is to view their clients with unconditional positive regard. The second was to be authentic and to show up. So this really challenged Freud, who believed that therapists should be a blank slate. Right. No personality that just to not get in the way of their client's process. But then you're you're sharing your heart with a with a wall, <laughs> with a whiteboard. Right, yeah. Whereas Carl Rogers said, no, if you're asking your clients to be vulnerable it's important for you to be real and, you know, appropriately vulnerable as well. Um, so, so this, this transparency, this unconditional positive regard, and then this, this openness and trust that, that through the process, everyone can get to know themselves mm. and can live a more, a more engaged, full and integrated life. Yeah, I like the positive regard thing because mm -hmm. I think when when we see somebody in the news who's done some heinous crime, yes, you can easily correlate back, and it's it's often true that they had something similar that happened to them, that traumatized them and caused them to do what it is that they did. Absolutely, I'm probably one of the few people out there who um, 
uh, we don't need to say his name, but the guy who's in the news every day, mm. <laughs> who was, uh, you know, formerly a leader of a country. Sure. I'm probably one of the few people that, that feels sorry for this guy mm. because the whole world just kind of is against him to a, to a very large degree. Right. And to know his background and the type of relationships that he had with his family and so on and so forth. It's like, this is, I wouldn't want that for the world, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and and I want to want to make an important distinction that having compassion for someone does not mean justifying or excusing right. their actions. Right. We can we can know that something's wrong. We can we can even you know there can be punishments or certain measures to to keep people safe. That's mm -hmm. all crucial. Yeah. But we don't, but we can at the same time see that, yeah, this person is hurting. Yeah. Underneath all this armor, there's a scared inner child that, yeah. Or it could even be something physical like brain damage. Yes. Um, there's a documentary, I can't remember the name of it right now, but I know the director, Alex Gibney, he makes tons of documentaries that are really awesome. Ah. But this, this woman, um, I think she was a, a psychiatrist. Okay. She had spent her whole life just sort of studying, you know, violent criminals in their brains. And yeah. she discovered that, yeah, there is a definite correlation between mm -hmm. certain ways that the, the brain is, the actual physical brain, not the yes. mind, and the behaviors of these people. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and, you know, and it's true. There's there's so much research on, on neuroscience and the neurochemistry of the brain, mm -hmm. which is it's groundbreaking. Yeah. That's and, almost like where all the research is going. You know? It's it's true. Yeah. And for me, this this just proves something that that many traditions have known for for centuries that the body, the heart, and the mind are interconnected. Mm -hmm. That yes, there's often there is a physiological component, a certain imbalances or very physical measurable mm -hmm. qualities and then there's also likely that's the nature side and there's also nurture right. elements of often abuse or neglect um, you know not in every case but I would, I would argue in most yeah there was a study done uh, maybe i don't know 20 years ago or so mm -hmm. where they wanted to finally decide you know is it nurture or nature right and once the, and for all yeah the conclusion was it's 50 50. Yeah. Exactly. So you can be born into terrible circumstances, but still have a great life. Victor yes. Frankl, right? This is someone, oh, a good example of that. So powerful. And vice versa, right? So, yeah. yeah. Abs absolutely. And yeah, Victor Frankl is a huge inspiration of mine as well. Yeah. Man's search for meaning. The smallest book on your bookshelf. And it just <laughs> is like this concentrated power. It is. Unbelievable. I mean, the greatest takeaway from his heart-wrenching story of surviving Holocaust concentration camps right. uh, as, a, as a Jewish psychiatrist during, during World War II was that we as human beings can survive even the worst horrors if we have something to live for. That's it, yeah. We can find meaning in our suffering. Yeah. And so, and I think that's, that's just it. There's, there's so many forms of meaning that we can find, but I think one that that we all share is finding meaning in connection mm. in and that's it goes back to what we were talking about just giving others a chance and being open to connection yeah i spent some time in in the recent uh, few years just really kind of by myself in mm. minimal contact with friends i wasn't completely okay. isolated yeah and coming out of that now 
in the, in the last year or so, I, I know exactly what you mean. Like mm -hmm. you really do need that. You, you can't. What have you noticed about the connection after coming out of that? I, I think I saw myself a little bit more accurately than I did before. Ah, yeah. okay. It, whereas otherwise, and then just all the judgments that I sort of had just kind of fell aside. And it's like, just enjoy the experience of being, having this connection and nothing more. Absolutely. Yeah. So not taking them for granted. Not taking much. it for granted and keeping that mm -hmm. voice of, of uh, you know, that's always judging and, and you know, that way I think we all have. Yes. Just, just putting that aside. That's right. I think when you, if you, if you have a partner and you live together, you have a big family, your mind is always kind of, you know, bouncing off other people. Mm -hmm. When you live by yourself, it's just you and your mind. Exactly. And now you're in the crucible, you know. You said it. Yeah. You said it. I think, and I think that is one of the, the beautiful opportunities of this generally horrible pandemic is this isolation, I believe, gave many of us Ooh, you're right. well, an opportunity to reflect. Another way to say it is it forced us to reflect, yeah. um, but to self-reflect. And that, that I think is really the key is if we're going to be open to contact and mm. connection with others, there has, we have to start with ourselves. There has to be a certain degree of self-understanding, self-awareness and self-acceptance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And where's the balance too? Like for me, mm. I, I've worked at home for years and years. Yeah. And, um, so for me, there was very little change when the pandemic hit. And so it was interesting to watch sort of people that I knew and people in the media and so on yeah. kind of freaking out, you know, like, oh, we're going to learn how to do sourdough breaking, <laughs> right. bread baking and so on and so forth. And then by like the second week, they're, they're just, they can't take it anymore. Yeah. So I think when you come face to face with your mind like that, it's like, ugh. Absolutely. I mean, there's two things come to mind immediately as you say that. One is that's just it. The these the restrictions, the isolate and the self isolation. It took away so many of our distractions. Mm -hmm. And this is one one thing. I think our society is largely built around <laughs> distracting us. Yeah. And it's okay, you yeah. know, like some like. But I think there's all the difference in the world between going to a concert with your heart open yeah. to share in this communal experience, to revel in the artist versus compulsively going to concerts as a way to avoid yourself. And to take in all that stimulus and go, ah. All the lights and the noise, yes. Yeah. Have you ever been to Las Vegas? I can't say I have. Oh, I've good, lived so good close for you. there, but <laughs> somehow, no. It is the ultimate in just over, nonstop overstimulation. Ah. Yeah, and, and I, I bet you there's some studies that they've done when they just to look at people's nervous systems. Oh, for sure. When they come out of there, because you're just, they just jack. You can't even walk into your hotel room without like the lights turning on <gasps> oh. automatically and you know, there's a greeting and then the shades come up and blah, 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 and some music plays. It's but, like, ah. I mean, I can see the appeal, but to me that sounds horrible. Yeah. As a highly sensitive person who yeah. tends to be overstimulated all the time. Yeah. Oof. How, how do you do with social media and stuff like that? I know we're on Facebook and Instagram yeah. and stuff. Are you pretty much off it as much as you can possibly be or? Moderation is my, mm -hmm. um, sort of the key for me. I, 
I tend to find it more overwhelming than comforting. I mean, right, of yeah. course I scroll sometimes for sure when I'm yeah. exhausted and avoiding doing my work. But, um, but yeah, I, I find, and I find that I, I tend to, to try to just post what's meaningful to me. There you go. Um, yeah. I got off Facebook and Twitter earlier this year. Twitter was did? the best thing to get off. <laughs> uh, yeah. But uh, you kind of lose contact with some friends and, but it also sort of makes you take a little bit of extra effort to reach out to somebody that's maybe sure. distant. And but I think podcasts are okay to listen to. I mean, you should really listen to those as much as you can. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> but truly this is, I think the, the pace, the, the quality of our conversations. Yeah. It, this is an invitation to slow down. Mm-hmm. It's something that you have to dedicate, say, 45 minutes to an hour of your time to really take in. Yeah. And I, I see that as very different from the reading a post that takes 10 seconds to read and then moving on to the next. Yeah. It's different yeah, it's on the just, nervous system. It's just a different world. Like I was coming mm-hmm. up, driving up the hill today, mm-hmm. and there was just a guy standing in the middle of, of the street looking yeah. at his phone. <laughs> I was ah. like, dude, I'm going to run you over. Right. Oh, and he didn't even notice me. He just kind of let me go around. I'm absorbed. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's kind of scary. It is. You know, and I I think one of the the positive qualities of social media is there's we've been able to connect mm-hmm. virtually, especially when we were stuck in our apartments. Because so one thing I want to circle back to is, yes, when we all had to self-isolate, there was the lack of distractions. But I also want to give the people that had a hard time some credit. Sure. I think there's two main ways that we as human beings regulate. We either self-regulate or co-regulate. Mm. And we all do both, but one tends to be our default. What is what is co-regulate? Co-regulate is where you, when you're when you're stressed, when you're hurting, you reach out. I see. You call your best friend. You right. call your mom. You 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 go out on the town with some friends. Like it's you use connection to regulate. Oh, cool. And self-regulation is where Mm-mm. you go. You get away from people mm-hmm. you go to meditate or to listen to music or to do whatever you need to soothe yourself on your own so you need a good balance of those that is ideal yeah and neither one is fully sufficient on its own mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. i think the pandemic not having that connection was really hard on folks who tend to rely on co-regulation right or extroverted and extroverted yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. interesting that's right yeah we're talking a little bit about the therapeutic space too yeah um, yes, that's just a fascinating going, I always, when I think of that, I always think of the idea of alchemy and Carl Jung as well, ah. recreate that sacred, you know, egg almost, mm-hmm. right? From which things can incubate. Yes. Yeah. There's something very special about that. And, and even sort of when you have to self-isolate or when you, when you sure. are by yourself, that is kind of a, a therapeutic space where you're, you, you're spending time with yourself and your mind. It certainly has the potential to be. Right. You're you checking in intention. with yourself. Yeah. Absolutely. No. And one thing I want to say about the therapeutic space, this is something that, that I try to do for my clients, that I teach my students at CIS to, to do and try to model it for them Mm -hmm. is to that, as you say, it's so important to create that container. And this is something we can do with our friends, our loved ones is so first it can help to, to set an intention. So say to maybe like when, if someone says, Hey, I need to talk. You're like, okay, like, well, maybe can we take like an hour or an hour and a half to grab, grab a tea or a coffee and, 
and let's really let's set you can say it however makes sense to you but mm. explicitly acknowledging we're going to take this time to talk about something that's real yeah and then the next is is really really listening and so that that's active listening creates such a container mm. and the heart of that is is in I always try to remind my students to give to give brief responses. So to resist the temptation to say, tell a story about you right. if you're reminded by something. And instead to just reflect back the the aspect of your, your friend's story that has the most emotional juice. Mm. And that's a very sort of uh, common human communication thing mm -hmm. where if we're just having a, a conversation and it's just kind of loose, you say something that reminds me of some my experience that I had. I tell you that, and we're not really connecting. Right. We're just telling stories from each other. I'm barely list perhaps even. It's just trigger. And even if you say something, I'm like I'm holding something in here that I'm mm. I'm waiting to say after you say it. That's exactly right. It's like oh, when is it my turn? Yeah. Whereas something, so especially if if someone's needing some extra support, mm. it's so good to even within your own mind set that intention that. This time it's for them. Right. And and then the other piece that's can be so powerful that, that we do naturally as as human beings, but it can be so soothing and comforting to do consciously, is to attune to the to your conversational partner's emotional expression. Mm. So say it's like that feeling where say you go to a, a friend and you're like, I'm just so frustrated, my boss is driving me crazy. And they go, That sounds hard. <laughs> yeah, like, thanks. <laughs> it's like, it's like that monotone is, it's basically, even if they said the right thing, or like, oh, wow, I'm sure your boss is very frustrating. Mm -hmm. It's the, you're, you're not joining them. Whereas to, to, you don't have to get as frustrated as they are, or, but to, to somewhat match your tone of voice, like, man, that does sound frustrating. Oh, matching the tone of voice. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It non-verbally expresses, like, I'm feeling this with you. You're not alone in this feeling. Yeah, let's go get him. <laughs> right? <laughs> yes, exactly. Or or joy. Like, that's sharing someone's excitement. Like, that's wonderful. Yeah, and if you can do that instead of talking about your own stuff, mm -hmm. I think people really can appreciate that. Yes. Yeah. I found, too, that at a certain point, I was sort of recycling my stories. And I was uh... getting tired of hearing them. Your myself own stories. yeah so it's like that kind of forced me to be in the moment a lot more mm -hmm. it's like mm, i could tell you that story about this but i've said it a hundred times i don't feel like repeating it yeah. you know that's i could never understand some of these bands and, and other people that are in the entertainment world and they go out every night for 40 years and play the same 10 songs mm -hmm. Whew, that's gotta be rough at a certain point it's yeah you'd imagine it's like a dusty book like <laughs> whereas I, it actually reminds me of this beautiful quote by, um, I believe Jeff Foster, who's a spiritual teacher. And I went to a retreat with him and Matt Licata. Matt Licata is a spiritually oriented, non-dual psychotherapist. Okay. He's one of my first inspirations. Cool. But, um, Jeff Foster said like, the past is dead. The future doesn't exist yet. Life happens in the present moment. Here we are. Yeah. Here we are. Right and that you asked you asked earlier about how my relationship with social media and all that you know 
one thing that I, and I know many people say this, but to take some, to take some time to get out into nature to, with the intention of being present. Right. That makes all the difference in the world for me. Sure. Sure. I, yeah. I, th I think the way that society is structured, it's kind of, um, reversed. Um, I mean, you work, you live 90% in the suburbs or in the city and then 10% sure. of your time you go out on your vacation and you go out to nature. That's yeah. like an instinctual thing to do. It's true. It should be, it should be inverted. Absolutely. 90% of our time in nature. Yeah. And then 10% of the time, I need to go in the city and buy some underwear and some socks and some whatever it is. That's certainly the life that, that I've chosen. That Yeah. Living here on the <laughs> living island. Living on Salt Spring Island. Yes. They used to be like in the pharmacy, you used to be able to go down and they used to have socks and, and other like oh choices God. and not, not right. so much anymore. Yeah. No, it's true. You have to go buy the expensive tourist ones from Moet's clothing. <laughs> It's like twenty six dollars for a pair of socks. It says Salt Spring on them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I, you know, <laughs> uh, but I will say, like, even if you are living in the city, or because we do have to navigate the reality that yeah, there are these external pressures. Yeah, and even with all my intentions to be present and embodied, I spend hours every day on my computer with Zoom sessions with my virtual clients, yep. catching up on emails. And so I, I just recently went on a five-day backpacking trip with my dear friend, uh, the Juan de Fuca Trail. And what I can really say is it's so powerful to at least give yourself a little bit of time, maybe even two days. Mm -hmm. Because usually for my friend and I, it would take us about, about one full day to let all the recycled thoughts, the monkey mind quiet down. At least, yeah. At least. Yeah. And, but it builds, that muscle does build. This time we, we've been doing this every year for at least five or six years now. And this time we set such a clear intention, we built up to it. And we found that within, within five minutes of being on the trail, we were already dropping. Five minutes, that's good. I was lucky, but it's, it's doable. I think we mentioned this in another episode too, just the intention is so important. You can yes. live in a city hectic environment, but you can also just sort of focus on sounds. That's right. Right. You can, you, there's always something beautiful to be seen, you know? Absolutely. And making that intention conscious. Yeah. Like I want to take in some beautiful sights on my drive to work today. That's what I'm going to do today. And the intention, there's something about the brain too, the way the brain works. I had mm -hmm. heard this, I think it was from uh, Tony Robbins or someone like mm -hmm. that. He was saying, he said, just before you head out the door, just like have nothing but loving thoughts towards yourself, towards the world, towards everything mm -hmm. and walk outside. Yeah. And so I did that and I stepped yeah. outside and there was like a chalk drawing that, that a little girl had made a heart and it uh -huh. actually said love on it, right? And it's like, wow, it's absolutely true. It's popped right out. And then he said, do the opposite, like get in a grumpy mood, hate mm. yourself, hate the Everything's world. Everything's bad. So I tried it the next day and I stepped outside. The first thing I saw was like some dog poop. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, this is magic. Yes. You know, your intention is so important as to the world yes. that you see and the way that you relate to people. A hundred percent. We create our own experience of reality. Mm -hmm. You know, we it what th that intention is, what our beliefs are, what we're essentially looking for, 
very much determines what's going to pop out to us yeah. and what's going to be in the background. Going back to Viktor Frankl, yeah. I remember That's... one thing in the book there, he was just blown away by, there's a fish head or something in his bowl of soup, right? Yeah. He's like, wow, he could see like the, the divinity of the universe in mm. it or something like that. Because it was so special compared to yeah. such little, no, no meat and... Yeah, and then you, yeah. I think about you know the other people that were in concentration camps, even mm -hmm. the ones that uh, you know made it through, that were, you know, the experience was so profoundly, um, just got right into their existential being. Yes, that a high percentage of them just took their own lives afterwards. Well, it was devastating. Yeah, and it's, it's just something you couldn't pass over. Yeah, no, of course not. And there's, there's that is a, a core truth. You know, and but going back to, I think that Viktor Frankl really depicts how powerful our intentions are. Um, another thing that just came to mind is he noticed that it wasn't actually the physically healthiest or strongest people who survived. Mm. And that to me, we talk about, you know, like building up the body and like the people have a stronger constitution than others. Yeah. He noticed the healthiest people die very quickly in some cases and he watched the seemingly most frail person survive month after month after month because they set an intention they had something to live for yeah they were going to get out and they had a vision of their life after they had a vision of their life after that's right yeah so yeah it's very intention is really important it sure is. You know, it gets kind of knocked around a little bit as you have an intention board or a vision board or something <laughs> like that, right? Right, it's fluid. They're helpful, I think. Yeah. Oh, know. absolutely. And the intentions, I'm so glad you brought that in because intentions can be as short-term as my intention for this walk today or my intention for this drive today. And they can be as deep and all-encompassing as my intention for this lifetime. Yeah, to connect with others or to to be creative or to I mean it could even be like I want to be successful I want to do the best I can at, at my job I'm gonna pour my heart into it and that's that's to me sounds like a beautiful life yeah I think it's important to kind of take control of your mind too like mm -hmm. uh, too often it's just too easy to let it off its leash yeah you know but if you if you start a meditation practice or if you have one don't differentiate between the time you sit on the mat and when you're, you know, oftentimes, and I do this, I'm guilty of this, sure. I get off the mat and then I'm right away, I'm like, yeah. Right back to the thoughts. Just to check the email. Mm. Da, 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 da. You're right. That's the goal is to, to practice. And actually that's true of any practice. Meditation, that you're practicing it with the goal to, to live it, mm. to be meditating all the time. Right. And I say that to my clients as well at the this container that, that we create together that allows them to really tune into their hearts, tune into their bodies, tune in to the quality of their thoughts. I'm like, this is a practice arena. Yeah. The goal is for you to be doing this every day out in the world. You should, you should like be wanting to do it. You should start, once you start to see the benefits of it, it's kind of hard to let your mind off the leash. Well, exactly. Yeah. The mind, it was never meant to lead. It's never meant to be the captain of the ship. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Well, speaking of meditation, it looks like it might be time to uh, have you lead us in one. Sounds great. <laughs> All right. So everyone, let's allow it, take a few moments to get comfortable. If you're sitting, 
find a comfortable position, or if you even are able to lie down, find a position that's the most comfortable and supportive for you in this moment. And once you're there, begin to deepen your breathing just a little bit. Allow yourself to take a little bit longer with each inhale. And each exhale. Start to connect to this present moment. Allow your awareness to sink down from the realm of thoughts, down into your chest. Fill your heart with your next breath. And allow your awareness to drop right down to the heart. With your next breath, gently bring your awareness to your core, the center of gravity of your body. Could be your belly, could be your sternum. And breathe into your core. Feel your body. And notice how it feels to be alive in this moment. With each breath, allow yourself to notice that vital life force entering your entire bloodstream and breathing life into every muscle, every patch of skin, every neuron, every limb. Feel the breath spreading through your entire body First filling your lungs, but then spreading all the way out through your left arm, all the way to the tips of your fingers. Through your right arm, all the way to the tips of your fingers. your left leg. Allow your awareness to follow the breath. Visualize the oxygen spreading through your bloodstream, traveling down past your knee, past your ankle, all the way through to the sole of your left foot, 
to the tips of your toes. And now feel the breath spreading down your right leg, all the way down past your hip, past your knee, all the way down to the sole of your right foot and the tips of your toes. With your next breath, breathe into your brain. Feel the breath traveling upwards this time, through all the muscles in your face, spreading through your entire skull. Now, with your next breath, allow your awareness to zoom out and to fill your entire body at the same time, from the crown of your head to the soles of your feet. Feel all the space within your body. With each breath, feel that gentle breath traveling through your entire body like a gentle breeze. See if you can tune in to the spaciousness within your body. And now, with your eyes still closed, begin to shift your awareness to the space around your body. Allow your field of awareness to expand beyond the borders of your skin. First, notice the space above you. Allow your awareness to stretch up above your head, to reach for the sky. With your next breath, shift your awareness to the space below you, the space under your chair, the space under the floor, and even the space in the soil itself. Allow your awareness to stretch down into the earth, to pass over roots and all the life under sweet Mother Earth's soil. Allow your awareness to stretch towards the core of the earth. With your next breath, shift your awareness to the space to your left. 
Allow it to fill as far as feels comfortable. It might stretch out an inch beyond your skin. Your awareness might stretch to the left wall in, the, in your room. Or it may stretch farther than that. your next breath, shift your awareness to the space to your right. Allow your field of awareness to expand and stretch to the right. With your next breath, bring your awareness to the space behind you. Stretching as far back as is comfortable. And finally, let's complete the sphere by stretching your awareness out in front of you. Feel the space in front of you. Allow your awareness to stretch as far as feels right in this moment. Finally, allow yourself to notice the space all around you, above and below, to the left and to the right, to the back and to the front. Let's take a few breaths, noticing the space. Tuning in to this part of you whose awareness stretches beyond your body. As the final piece of this meditation, check back in with the space inside your body. And now notice, is there any difference between the space within your body and the space around your body? Can you find the barrier? Take one more deep breath together. In and out. You might start to wiggle your fingers or toes. Bring your awareness back to the body. And when you're ready, slowly allow your eyes to open and take the light in.
Thank you all.